Welcome back to One Conversation, where we believe one conversation can change a life. I am Sarah, and I am here with my amazing co-hosts, Lisa and JC, and I am just so excited about today's episode. We're going to chat about how trauma can impact young children and teenagers. This is something that I'm really passionate about, and before my time with Live Violence Free, I worked with parents and caregivers of children who have experienced various levels of trauma, and I think this information is so important for anyone that has children in their life that may have experienced varying levels of trauma. Today, we will discuss things that parents, foster or adoptive parents, or caregivers can do to better understand how to work with the youth through difficult times. But I will point out that this can be informative for anyone, not just parents or caregivers. You can check out our episode, Impacts of Childhood Trauma and the ACE Study, to learn more about how traumatic events can impact someone later on in life. Quick disclaimer, since we will be referencing some things that cause trauma, just be advised that this conversation may be triggering for some listeners. Also, make sure to follow our podcast so you can get up to date on our episodes, and please take a moment to rate our podcast as well to make it easier for others to find our content and be part of our conversation. Yes, absolutely. Um, Just following along and rating us, it really does help us kind of get further in the algorithm, right, and push that information out there. So we really appreciate if you guys could take a moment to do so. But we are going to start off by sharing what can cause trauma. Trauma can occur from many circumstances. It manifests from one's emotional or psychological response to an event. And the event itself doesn't always have to be physical or cause direct fear for one's life and safety, although those are some of the most impactful events that can lead to trauma. But especially in children, there are so many different experiences from birth to late childhood that can be traumatic and create significant impact. Childhood trauma is sadly very common. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, more than two-thirds of children reported at least one traumatic event by the age of 16. Inevitably, children who are in the foster care or adoption systems have experienced some form of trauma, and many children and youth in those systems have experienced multiple or ongoing trauma events in their lives. Childhood traumatic stress occurs when children and adolescents are exposed to events or situations that really overwhelm their ability to cope and interfere with daily life and their ability to function and interact with others. Because of that, it's so important to talk about this and educate specifically potential foster or adoptive parents. That way they can be aware and understand how these effects can or may present themselves. Absolutely. I totally love that we're talking about this topic specifically because many times we get to see some behavior Mm -hmm. that at times we may be concerned about without having the full understanding of what's behind that behavior, right? Like what's going on in this child's life. So I love this. This will definitely provide some foster parents or potential foster parents with some more information and knowledge in regards to, you know, what a child may experience or had experienced in the past. So Let's talk about some of the ways that children may experience trauma. Childhood trauma can develop from psychological, physical, or sexual abuse, right? And so that's something that is relevant at times in regards to some of the experiences children experience um, in their home or why they were even removed. Mm -hmm. Community or school violence, 
They may have witnessed or experienced domestic violence. And so some people may be unaware of this, but if there is a child in the home or children in the home who witness domestic violence, they may possibly be removed from the yeah. home, depending on the situation. But that is something that does occur and happen. And we often get a lot of questions around that. Um, national disasters or terrorism, commercial sexual exploitation, sudden or violent loss of a loved one, refugee or war experiences, military family related stressors. So it could be deployment, you know, parental loss or injury. It may be due to physical or sexual assault, neglect, or serious accidents or life-threatening illnesses. And so these are all different forms of trauma that a child may have experienced. So when we are focusing particularly on children in the foster care or adoption systems, we have to consider the trauma that they could have uh, stemmed from the events leading up to being placed in that system, mm -hmm. right? So what kind of got them there or why are they there? If a child is taken away from their biological parents or caregivers, uh, there is a chance that that child or children were removed from their care due to some kind of abuse or neglect. And like I mentioned, it could be because there was domestic violence in the home or maybe some form of parental substance abuse um, or a variety of other traumatic circumstances. Even the event of a child being removed from the household can just cause trauma itself for them. Because that child is now being taken away from the people and situations that they are familiar with and what's kind of their norm, regardless if they were kept safe or not in that situation. So let's say that they were, you know, um, the parents were attempting to keep them safe. Uh, in this instance, let's say that maybe the child witnessed domestic violence. And although the victim in that situation and that domestic violence dynamic was trying to keep them safe, regardless, the child may had experienced or witnessed domestic violence right, right in that home. And so it's something to kind of be mindful of. So that much sudden change can be so impactful on a child. And so we also know that many times children love their parents no matter what. And so even if maybe they were removed from the home because there was some form of child abuse, right? It's still very difficult for a child, although they were removed for their own safety and well-being, it can be something that could really impact them um, and be even traumatic for them. Yeah. So uh, it's really critical to know that children who are given up for adoption at birth or an early age uh, may still struggle with trying to understand why their biological parents made that decision, right? Um, they may kind of question why that happened. Sometimes they question their worth or how they were seen. So it's really important to kind of be mindful of some of these things and how traumatic some of these experiences may have been for some children. Yeah, thank you, JC. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on that. Oftentimes, children that are in foster care, they will have multiple placements. So they're repeatedly being yeah. exposed to being removed from a home for whatever reason, it could be a variety of reasons. But having that change happen, being removed multiple times and placed with someone else, you have to rebuild these relationships, you are being taken away from what you knew at that time. And it can be really difficult for children in those situations mm -hmm. as well. So in a little bit, we are going to talk about how trauma can cause impact on children and youth from toddler through teenage years. 
Before we go into that, it's also important to discuss how risk and protective factors can impact how children internalize traumatic events. The most prominent risk and protective factors are going to be the severity of the event. How serious was the event? Was someone badly injured or was the child badly injured? Did they or someone they love need to go to the hospital? Did the police come? Were children separated from their caregivers? Were they interviewed by a principal, a police officer, a counselor? Or did a family member or friend die? So different things are going to happen in this traumatic event. And just all of the different things that go on with it are going to affect the severity of the event. The proximity of the event as well. Was the child at the place where the event occurred? Did they see the event happen to someone else or were they the victim? Did the child watch it on TV or did they hear a loved one talk about the event? So with like domestic violence situations, we're wondering if the child actually saw the domestic violence occur or maybe were they in the other room, but they could still hear what was going on. Uh, Did they see something on TV that was really traumatic and they weren't able to discuss it with someone that could help them realize it wasn't something that happened in real life or is it something that's being talked about around them a lot? All of those things can factor into their um, how close they were to the event. And then the caregiver's reactions as well. Did the child's family believe that they're telling the truth? Did the caregiver take the child's reaction seriously? How did the caregivers respond to the child's needs and how did they cope with the event themselves? And that's you know huge. We've talked about in podcasts I know before when a child reports some sort of sexual assault that may have happened to them. Are they being believed? Because that can really affect how yeah. they're able to heal through that trauma. And the caregiver's reaction is extremely important too to help them. Do they feel supportive? Absolutely. And I'm really happy that, you know, we kind of took time. And I think that's pretty sensible, right? Thinking about, you know, the level and severity of trauma if, you know, they were in that household when something went on, if they were a direct witness of it. Um, And of course, even hearing about it, right, can still cause trauma, but we have to take into account, uh, were they there? Were they a victim of this? You know, how how deeply were people that they love impacted by these, these specific events? So, all of that, um, very important to discuss. Are they repeated events? Like, is it happening consistently or is yeah. it happening often in the child's life? Right. And so our last two risk and protective factors are, of course, a prior history of trauma. We know that children continually exposed to traumatic events are more likely to develop traumatic stress reactions, kind of like what Sarah was just mentioning, right? Ongoing things they're witnessing or um, being victimized through. And lastly, we have family and community factors. So the Culture, race, and ethnicity of children and their families and their communities can be a protective factor, meaning that children and families, they have qualities or resources that can help buffer against the harmful effects of traumatic experiences and the aftermath. One of these protective factors can be the child's cultural identity. Culture often has a positive impact on how children, their families, and their communities can respond, recover, and also heal from a traumatic experience. However, experiences of racism and discrimination can also increase the child's risk for traumatic stress symptoms, right? So all of that definitely plays a huge part in how this trauma can be internalized or how some of it can be maybe mitigated, right, with that community and that familial support. 
And so this is definitely a huge part of it, right? Thinking about risk and protective factors. Um, if you're really working to better understand a child's trauma history, all of those pieces really do have to be considered. I now work in child welfare. I'm actually in charge of licensing childcare facilities such as foster homes or residential treatment programs and transitional living. So if I report to an incident that has occurred at one of these sites involving the youth, which I will say is quite frequently, I have to report to facilities and investigate things that have happened. But when I go out to do so, the first thing I do is I look through that child's file because it is so crucial that I look back at that child's history. That way I can better understand more on their experiences prior to being placed there. It helps me understand where their behaviors or their triggers or their ways of coping come from. And so again, really important things to think about when we know a child has been through trauma. So now we're gonna talk about some ways that trauma can affect age groups differently and get a little bit specific because we know that young children might exhibit different reactions or responses than older youth. Absolutely. And so um, definitely depending on their age, right, and their past experiences, their response may be different. And mm -hmm. so with specifically preschool children, they may have some fear in regards to being separated from their parent or caregiver, or sometimes even their sibling. That's something that I've also witnessed myself. Mm -hmm. um, they may cry or scream a lot. They may have fear around certain people. And so it could be reminders of trauma, right? Or a specific gender at times, depending on what forms of abuse or past traumatic experiences um, that they experienced. Yeah. They may eat poorly or lose weight. They may even have nightmares. And now when we are discussing elementary school children, you may witness them become anxious or fearful. They may feel guilty or ashamed. They may really have a hard time concentrating. There may be some form of bedwetting, difficulty sleeping, inability to focus, and learning difficulties. And so when we sometimes look at these, right, these are some of the signs that you can also find under PTSD, right? Yeah. And that's post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that's something that we've seen that can be relevant for those that have experienced trauma or, you know, even abuse. And so when you're looking at children, it's important to also note that they could experience PTSD as well. And so obviously that's something that needs to be uh, diagnosed by a psychologist. But if you're ever concerned about a child experiencing some of these signs, it's definitely important to connect with some support and help. Um, but kind of moving on to middle and high school children, uh, they may feel depressed or alone. So it is typical for them to sometimes isolate themselves as well. They may develop eating disorders or self-harming behaviors. They may begin abusing alcohol or drugs, so that's a really big one. Yeah. Uh, they may become involved in risky sexual behavior, especially if they've experienced sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, lack of self-hygiene. 
They may become very involved in risky behaviors like drugs, fighting, or other dangerous situations, and they may have difficulty learning or concentrating. And so, again, you know, some of these behaviors may be very concerning behaviors. And anytime I hear that a child is being challenging in any way, especially if they've been a part of the foster system, um, we definitely want to take a closer look to see how we could better support them because they definitely need a lot of support. Support, um, yeah. especially because sometimes there's even mistrust, right, between them and adults in their life because of their past experiences. It's also known that there are uh, foster, you know, homes that have actually abused, you know, foster children, and so that yeah. may be something that's re- relevant in that child's life as well. And so it's really critical and important to just kind of pay a closer look to some of this behavior and figure out how we can better support that child or children. Yeah, thank you, JC. I appreciate all of that insight that you have about really recognizing what has happened to that child and trying to figure out why these behaviors are happening and looking at their past. So we know that these responses can stem from the fact, like we mentioned earlier, that trauma can interfere with how we cope and our daily functioning. Mm -hmm. It also affects the brain, the body, and the way of our thinking can ultimately change the way the child sees and responds to people and different circumstances throughout their life. And an important thing to mention is that these trauma responses or internal changes may have helped protect the child in the circumstances that we're in. So like we were talking about, like there's a reason these are happening. This is how this was their survival at one point was these different behaviors that they were exhibiting. So usually they're deeply rooted and require adults to have a lot of patience, support, and time to help them address and overcome these different things. And we know that maltreatment or traumatic events do actually change the brain's chemical activity, which result in these behaviors. So if you're a parent out there listening, just know that children and youth can absolutely make progress with this. They can overcome the effects of trauma and having your support is extremely important. So we're going to talk about ways that some parents or caregivers can help children overcome and heal from their trauma. Absolutely. And I think that's such a great thing just to say is that, you know, this can be something that that child can really overcome or just work through and just be in such a better place in terms of how they navigate the world, how they cope and how they interact with themselves and others. But it really does take time and support, right? And we'll get more into that um, in a little more specifics in a little bit here. But I think a really good thing to keep in mind If you have a child in your life that's experienced trauma and maybe now they're struggling with behaviors, remember that they have been through things that were most likely completely out of their control and other bodies have had to adapt to that circumstance, right? And JC mentioned how, you know, especially in teenage years, we may see eating disorders, we may see risky behaviors, right, that that child's taking on. And we, we have to think about how if they were in situations where they were feeling so out of control of what was going on, things like eating disorders or self-interest behaviors or just risky behaviors, I mean, they come into play because that individual can now control that, right? They can control how much they eat. They can control if pain does happen to them because they're the one doing it, right? And so that's really important, I think, to kind of lift the lens and make those connections. And also, it's really important to shift the perspective from they're acting like a bad kid to this is a kid who's had really bad things happen to them. When adults are unaware of the trauma that a child has faced, they can often be labeled as kids with conduct disorders or be perceived that, you know, some of their less desirable behaviors are 
you know, being chosen by that child, when instead it's simply a response or a coping mechanism and something, again, they may have done to protect themselves in the past or something that inevitably just was internalized in them and now this is how they respond. So that compassion is really crucial. And even if a kid has done something, you know, in your eyes that's very wrong, maybe getting into a physical fight with other foster siblings, stealing, being verbally aggressive, know that this is less of a conscious free thinking decision and honestly more of a bodily reaction due to the changes in their brain and how they've had to cope and learn how to keep themselves safe and comfortable in situations that they couldn't control. Yeah. And one thing that came to mind when Lisa was mentioning this as well is I forgot to highlight parentification Mm -hmm. as a behavior that you often see in children that have experienced trauma, um, especially those that have been in the foster system. We often see them play kind of the parent role, especially if they have siblings, they'll kind of play that parentification role um, where they're kind of telling them what to do or they'll be very overprotective over them. And that is also a sign of a child who has experienced not just a lot of trauma, but also um, possible, you know, neglect. And so it's really critical and important to kind of be mindful of those things. Now we're going to talk about how we can help a child heal from trauma. And so with some of those behaviors and responses that I talked about earlier, those are kind of some of the signs that children sometimes show when they're just trying to deal with Mm -hmm. what they have experienced opposed to healing. And so I love being able to kind of shift into um, how we can help a child heal from trauma. So um, we can really help by being patient and reminding ourselves that consistency is key, right? And with that consistency, to just remember that it takes time. It really does take time to kind of build that structure and that consistency and to make that child or children feel safe, right? And to feel like they're not going anywhere at least anytime soon. Um, To also try to not take things personally And so this is something that's really critical and important to kind of be mindful of. Um, I've actually have helped with some nieces and nephews that have been removed from my cousin's home. They were taken in by a family member. And so I helped through that process and I would take care of them daily during that time since I was on maternity leave from my daughter. And I remember them acting out and Mm -hmm. I'm a very patient person, but I found myself sometimes finding their behavior very challenging. And I clearly remember reminding myself, like, okay, if they're feeling this way, if they're doing this with me, you know, it may be because they feel safe with me. And after learning and educating myself more, it's important to also know that sometimes when a child feels that unconditional love or feels safe, they may act out more. They may be actually able to feel safe enough to express themselves and how they're really kind of coping and dealing with things. And so um, I started kind of shifting the way that I was viewing things and it helped me have a little more patience and understanding of their situation, right? Because it must be very, very scary for a child to be removed from what they've always known of, you know? Um, And definitely if it's a home where they consistently had, you know, those two parents or that one parent for many years, and then they're just removed from, you know, what was their normal. So just one thing to kind of be mindful of. Um, don't expect to learn all the child's past trauma up front. 
Some trauma effects may manifest later on, um, and children will discuss the trauma when they are comfortable to do so. And so that's also something that, you know, has been kind of a learning curve as well. Uh, as the child kind of builds that trust with you, they may disclose more and more, right? And so it's also important to know that they may not always disclose everything that they have experienced. They may not always have a full understanding of what they've experienced. And so it's just important to be patient um, and allow them to kind of disclose as they're comfortable. Uh, it's also important to be open to different ways of problem solving and realizing that every child and their behavior is very different. Also, their learning curve as well. And so the solution that you may find for one child may not be the solution for another. And so it's really yeah. important to kind of be patient through that process and also check in with the child, kind of figure out what would help and help them or make them feel more supported. Um, and sometimes that simple question may go a long way. Sometimes you literally will not know uh, what to say or what, you know, would make them feel more safe. But again, consistency right. is key. Uh, do your research on how to be trauma informed. And I think that is something that can definitely come in handy for any adult that is you know, involved or has any youth in their life. Um, just being trauma informed to have a better understanding of what trauma looks like, what that behavior and those signs look like is really critical and how you can kind of respond in a trauma informed way as well. And so sometimes it's as critical as just being mindful of the language that we use, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, instead of saying, you know, this child's a bad child, uh, you could say, you know, that behavior was just not acceptable, but finding ways to let that child know that they are not bad, but that behavior was not okay. And right. so we want to make sure that we shift from making a child feel ashamed or feel like they are to blame um, to them just feeling hopefully guilty about their actions and being able to hopefully um, react in a different way, right? And But it's also a process that we have to kind of help them navigate through. It's also important to not be afraid to ask for help, advice, or support from others. Even if you are informed possibly in, you know, psychology or you have, um, you know, taking care of children for many years or have had a daycare or have raised children of your own, honestly, it's never ending. You know, I have two children of my own and I'm always open to learning and trying to learn more new things and I always learn something new because there's so much research and studies out there now um, that you know show so much more information and knowledge that is really critical and needed right for us yeah. adults to have when we're raising children or supporting children and so um, definitely even connecting sometimes with other adults that are possibly doing something similar um, I know there's sometimes like foster parent support groups as well that are provided um, and awesome resources as well for foster parents that way they're also aware that they're not alone and there's so many resources and education that can be provided utilize any community resources like i mentioned uh, training therapeutic measures uh, you can also ask the child's pediatrician about additional services or resources and it's also important to remind yourself that trauma didn't happen overnight, right? Um, so some of that is accumulated trauma, right? Or experiences that they've experienced through their lifespan so far. And so when it comes to healing, it's important to know that it's also not going to happen overnight. And so yeah. it is a process and it does take time. But again, consistency is key. Uh, it's important for parents to take part in self-care, 
um, and seek any resources or support for themselves, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. And so it's important for you to also take care of yourself and what better way to be able to be a great example and model that by you taking great care of yourself so that hopefully they're able to take care of themselves as well in the future. All right. And then lastly, remember that a traumatized child is incredibly amazing, resilient, and strong. Mm -hmm. Reminding them of that is just as important as reminding yourself during difficult moments. So definitely knowing that children are resilient and they can definitely spring back with the proper support. Yeah, absolutely. And I am so appreciative of you, JC, also, you know, sharing out your kind of own experiences that you've had, um, you know, with your niece and nephews. Um, But either way, I think that was just a wealth of insight. And a lot of those things, they are so important. And even just taking little steps, right, like looking for more resources, reaching out to support groups, or just parents within the community. I mean, a lot of those things, they really can go a long way if you're someone maybe out there listening and, you know, thinking or feeling like, this is a lot, or maybe you don't know how to navigate it, right? There's a lot of resources out there for you. And so, of course, we're going to have a lot of stuff linked below. But for now, we are going to go ahead and jump into a little meditation. And I'm going to actually keep this short because I thought it might be a really great idea to do a little meditation that hey, maybe a parent out there can lead a young child or a teenager and lead them through this little meditation. If things get overwhelming or if they just need, you know, to take a break for a moment, if things are getting a little bit intense or if they're getting upset, this might be a great little tool that you as a parent can share with your child, right? And take this moment to breathe together. And so for anyone out there that is willing to take on this meditation at this time, I just invite you to get into a comfortable position, get into a comfortable space. And once you are in this comfortable position, I want you to just start taking slow breaths, slow down that breathing, check in with yourself. How are you feeling right now? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Try to even in your mind, just get to the point where you understand where these heightened feelings are coming from. Start doing nice deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I want you right now to just acknowledge those feelings that are coming up. So if you are going through something hard, if you are feeling overwhelmed or frustrated, it's okay to acknowledge those feelings. And I want you to remind yourself that right now you are safe. that right now what's most important is just taking nice deep breaths in and out. In this moment, just feel the relaxation that happens when you simply focus on your breathing and don't allow any intrusive thoughts to come up. 
just at your own pace. Take these nice deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just sit with this relaxation and this quick moment of silence. Allow yourself to shake off any negative feelings that you need to let go of. On your next inhale, repeat to yourself, I am safe. On your next inhale, repeat to yourself, I am worthy. And on this next inhale, repeat to yourself, I am enough. Take a few last slow, deep breaths in and out, really enjoying this feeling of calm. On your next inhale, take a nice deep breath in, fill your lungs and hold for three counts before a big exhale out. And one more, really fill your lungs all the way, deep breath in, hold for three, and let go with your exhale out. Enjoy this relaxing feeling for as long as you'd like. Take more breaths if you'd like to. But I invite you to come on back into the room, back into your body, into your awareness. Gently float open your eyes. Take whatever little movements, stretches, adjustments you'd like to. And I hope that little meditation is relaxing for the listeners out there. I hope maybe that's something that, again, you could use if you're feeling overwhelmed, especially as a parent. I can't imagine how many moments in life that parenthood could just feel like you need that little break. And again, even maybe with your child, right, who's maybe going through something and maybe just needs that moment of relaxation. Um, it doesn't have to be that long. It could literally just be taking a few deep breaths together, reminding yourself that you're safe, that you know, you're okay in this moment, and you're, you're worthy of taking that time for yourself. And so on that note, I just want to kind of talk about um, any last thoughts, right, before we sign off today. I'm so happy we chatted about this. I think, you know, it's kind of a unique population, just speaking directly to foster and adoptive parents. But again, like Sarah mentioned at the beginning, it's it's not just solely focused on them as well, right? As, as much as it is, I think this could be easily applied for 
parents out there, um, for individuals that work with kids in any capacity. But also, we know that trauma affects across the lifespan, right? We've done a few episodes on that, including our ACE studies episode. And so just knowing how much this can affect children um, really may help us understand maybe ourselves if we've been through trauma as children and, you know, never really taking the time to process that, right? Or seeing like why or how we cope with things the way we do, or even with other adults in our life, right? That maybe maybe some of this insight kind of gives a better glimpse to who they are or why they react the way they do. And so my, my other last thoughts are, if you're considering adoption or fostering, that's amazing. There's so many kids out there that are in desperate need of that stable, supportive environment in their lives. Uh, so many kids are just dealt really bad hands in life. And if you can have the capacity to provide that safe place, like a huge kudos to you. Again, in my work, I see it all the time. Kids that have just had such a rough go at it because that's just how their world has been, how their circumstances have been. Uh, So a big thank you out there to any foster or adoptive parents who are listening because you're doing an incredible thing. And I really hope this episode provided some support today. Yeah, I agree. Just foster parents out there and adoptive parents, you're doing the work and it's hard work. It's not easy. And if anyone ever tells you it's easy, then I don't think they know what they're talking about because it's definitely hard work. (laughs) And I just think it's so important to show up for these children and just show them that you're there and just really understanding that these behaviors were most likely coping mechanisms for them. It's how they got their needs met at the time Mm -hmm. when they were in different situations. Um, So like a lot of times these behaviors are trying to get their needs met. And so if a child is having these behaviors, maybe ask yourself, what need are they trying to get met? Did they learn that if I have a huge outburst, then I'm going to get all of this attention. And right now I'm really craving attention. So now I'm going to get this attention Mm -hmm. this way. Just reminding yourself of those things and really exploring what need they want to get met in that moment. And then just really taking care of yourself because working with children that have been through trauma and are having these extreme behaviors is really difficult and it can be very exhausting mentally, physically, and emotionally. So just for anyone out there that does work with children that have these behaviors, just please, please, please take care of yourself so you can show up for the children the best possible way. I absolutely agree. Um, And so again, kudos to you if you're a foster parent or thinking about it. We definitely need amazing, trusting adults like you to kind of step forward and really be there for some of these children that have experienced so much. Um, With that being said, I feel like we kind of really discussed every little area, but I wanted to just share this quote I came across. It says, behavior is a language of trauma. Children will show you before they tell you that they are in distress. And so it's something that really just hit home because we see it, right? Especially in the line of work that we do and, you know, just working with youth because regardless of their age, even if they are able to verbally express themselves, it does not mean that they will be able to, right? Because of the trauma that they have experienced in the past or because they sometimes don't have a full understanding of what's going on or because of their coping skills that they've kind of built to survive every day. And so, you know, I truly say that a child may not be able to express the hurt that they're going through, but pay attention to their behavior. And sometimes their behavior will say it all. But 
With that being said, we really appreciate all our listeners out there who took the time to learn about this important topic today. Uh, Make sure to check out our resources below for more support and information on trauma. And again, thanks for listening in, and we hope you will join us for our next conversation.